Uh, okay, uh, I'll be reading the word of God, okay? Uh, it's from Romans chapter 6, verses um, nine, uh, 19 through 23. So it says, I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural uh, slaves, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness. So now, offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slave to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you were now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves uh, to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our loving Father, as we all are gathered here, Lord, uh, you speak through Pastor Masami, and you open our eyes and grant us wisdom. And let's all be fulfilled with your words, and we may be able to live accordingly your words, Lord. And we submit this time into your mighty care. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We all could see. So like Rinchin said, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open them up to Romans chapter 6. We have four verses to go over today. If you have a, a child with you, um, we don't have regular uh, children's ministry today. We have it for wee ones. Uh, but on communion Sundays, which we'll share together with at the end of this service, uh, you guys stay in here with us. So if you want something for them to do, like some, a project, uh, some stuff to color with. They're available at the Children's Ministry booth. You can snag some there, and they'll have some work to do. They can come back and join you uh, where you're seated at. Would you pray with me again as we get going? Lord, we know that your word is powerful. We know that when you inspired the men that you did to write it, they were carried along by your spirit. And Lord, you had them write down exactly what we need to know right here today as we sit here, as well as our brothers and sisters around the world and those that went before us. Your word is timeless and at the same time, you know exactly what we need to hear, what we need to be challenged toward because you're great. You're holy. And I want my life to be available to you to conform to the likeness of your son. I'm, my brothers and sisters here want that same thing. So as we open up your word right now, convict us, remind us. Maybe of things that we haven't looked at for a long time. Maybe it's something that we're just battling through right now. But would you please remind us that you indwell us with your spirit and you teach us not just so that we have an easier path to tread, but because you have a purpose to grow us, to mature us, to bring us 
to life everlasting in you, knowing we have been conformed to who we're supposed to be in your son. So do that. Help us to see that better now, today, than we did yesterday. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we continue in this series in Romans, the last couple of weeks we've been in chapter 6, and, and we've seen the highlight of this section of Romans is life in the gospel, who we are in Christ, and how we live in him. I highly encourage you, if you, if you didn't get to, because you missed the last couple Sundays or one of them, you go back and, and you listen to the last couple weeks of, of Romans chapter 6. Brent kicked this off two weeks ago and, and referenced that we are slaves to sin and now free, set free from sin. Scott, last week, circled around again, just as Paul did, and emphasized for us that we were slaves to sin and were set free from sin and now slaves of righteousness. So we're going to continue in that. And as you may be surprised, Paul's going to have us recognize once again, we were slaves of sin, but. So we're going to break this four-verse section up into two parts, simply because Paul does, right? When you were and but now. Okay, so if you like to take notes, when you were but now. So when, of course, is a reference to time. This adverb is, is, is powerful, but it. Paul's grabbing our attention right here. He's saying, when you were slaves to sin, or as long as you were slaves to sin, or while you were slaves, he wants us to hearken back, to look back, to remember, this is who you were. Do you remember who you were? Do you remember all that you've been changed from, to be, what you've been saved from? I probably need to ask you that. There's probably moments where you lay in bed and go, oh, man, I remember. I got saved when I was like 29. I was saved when I was five. I don't know. Really? You, you can't remember the little things you did that were so abhorred that even if a, a cute little five-year-old was to stand in the presence of a holy God would cringe at what, what they did, what I did. Do you remember that time? That time where you were not obligated to God. You were slaves to sin. You had a different master. What Paul does in this is that he wants us to see Slavery for what it is. Biblically, we need to strive for the author's intent. What was his purpose, right? Because Paul was writing in first century under Rome with a rich history, a rich Israelite history. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew his scriptures. He was not thinking, as we do right here, right now, we have to be really careful not to superimpose colonial slavery into this context. It is not the same. Okay? Nor is it Asian slavery. 
with its high and low caste, which, you know, Israel is technically part of Asia, all right? It is an Ottoman slavery, which dominated for centuries in the Near East. No, there's a slavery that Paul specifically has in mind, and he's familiar primarily with three predominant experiential and historical events of slavery. The first, Roman slavery. It was around him, right? Rome dominated all the areas in which Paul lived and did ministry his entire life. He was familiar with Egyptian slavery because the Lord saved the Jewish people out of Egypt after service of 400 years as slaves. But when we read this section in Rome, Paul primarily has in mind a biblical slavery that the Lord gave to Moses and said, here are the boundaries. This is what slavery looks like for you in these days. It has a divine purpose. Let me step back there. Slavery, bond servanthood, had a divine purpose. Now, this, this should grind a little bit against our sensibilities, right? I'm slave to no man. I'm an American. Right? To understand better what Paul is referencing here and what God is wanting you and I to understand, we need to look at what this biblical slavery in the Old Testament period meant, how it was supposed to function. Because like I said, it's vastly different than the colonial slavery that we've heard and and seen uh, effects of in our nation. In the Old Testament law, there is a great detail about slavery. It had a purpose. It had a duration, a time limit. There were protections in it. There were obligations both for the slave and the master. There are specific dynamics if you were a foreigner who became a slave or if you were a Hebrew who became a slave. If a slave was mistreated, where would they go to find justice, correction? God clearly said how that should be because he knows how depraved humanity is. And the Levites provided that. The Lord prescribed what would happen if trust was broken, either on the part of the slave or the master, and what discipline should take place. The Lord lays it out with tremendous detail in Exodus, in Leviticus, in Deuteronomy, in big sections. Because it wasn't only practical for then, it has spiritual ramifications to this very day for you and for me as we read Romans. The nations around Israel 
slavery functioned differently. All around them. Even in the days of Paul. Did you know that an Egyptian master, if his slave became sick and didn't look like he was going to recover, was not obligated to take care of his slave. In fact, he could abandon him so he didn't have to incur the cost of a piece of property costing him any more. The Lord says, it is not that way with you. A slave often sat at the master's table, ate with his family and his children. And if he didn't serve in the home, he would work alongside the master in their field. So how did an Israelite become a slave? Right? How did that even happen in the first place? Why would the Lord even allow that to happen? And there's n- numerous ways, right? But a Hebrew, not a foreigner, but a Hebrew could become a slave because they became indebted. Or their financial circumstances became so dire, they would come to someone, someone that they may even know or someone they owed money to, and say, would you please purchase me? Now, when when you and I hear that term, will you purchase me, there's a specific, again, purpose. A Hebrew could become a slave by inheritance, right? If I became a slave, I gave myself, indebted myself to someone, and we marry, or I get married, or I was married, and my wife has a child, that child would also be a slave to the master. So a child can be a slave by inheritance. A prisoner of war could be taken as a slave. Hebrew, though a Hebrew slave could become free. One of four ways. If you read the book of Leviticus, you could see that a Hebrew could purchase their freedom or their freedom could be purchased. If, let's just say, they became affluent or they were, you know, they took the Dave Ramsey plan and they saved their money and the snowball debt rolled and they were good to go, right? Right? And they accumulated their shekels. They could pay off their debt and regain their freedom. Or if a relative, a brother. Now hear me when I say this. And what I'm about to share with you, I want you to take and stick in your pocket and save it for a little bit. A relative could come and purchase a slave's debt and they would have freedom there are a couple other options the sabbatical year would come around right every seven years and slaves were to go free on that seventh year so when I gave myself into servitude 
One of the options was that it would be, again, for a period of time. If I was a slave, it was not indefinite. My entering into debt repayment was structured based on a payment plan that had a graduation date or fulfillment date of the sabbatical or the year of Jubilee every 50 years. It was not a perpetual, endless slavery. There's also a, a minor exemption. It doesn't fall through as much, but if the master died. And all masters die. So but those are the four ways in which a Hebrew slave could regain their freedom. And there are ways the Israelite become a slave and be free and these are the ways in which Paul wants us to be familiar these are what Paul wants us to understand this is the mindset the Hebrew the biblical mindset that Paul is primarily alluding to and through so let's go back to the text in verse 20 when you were slaves to sin you were free from the control of righteousness. You were unobligated to righteousness because you served another master. Paul is saying, you have a master. You were slaves of sin. And since you were in that master's house, you served in their fields, you reap their harvest, and what did you get for that work? Verse 21. What is your payment for what you planted, what you grew, what you harvested? It was your demise. That master was a cruel master. And Paul wants us to look back. And see that now, since something has happened to you, something's changed you, something has changed your circumstances, you're now ashamed, ashamed. I don't like feeling shameful. I know you don't like feeling shameful. It doesn't feel good. I don't know what other people are thinking when I know I've done something to incur shame. But Paul says those things you were ashamed of. Now, remind you, this term shame or ashamed that Paul uses, he, he used sparingly in this book of Romans. He uses it in other New Testament books that he writes, but in Romans, twice. He only uses it twice. What you're ashamed of and what he's not ashamed of. And what he's not ashamed of, you can go back and read for yourself. It's in Romans chapter 1. So how long have you and I been slaves of sin? How long have we had this master? David says in Psalm 51, he understands. He wrote that surely I was sinful at birth, 
sinful from the time my mother conceived me, was born into sin. Right? Again, Hebrew biblical slavery, a a child could be born into servitude. We have been born as slaves. But in verse 22, Paul makes a contrast. That contrast seems to have a problem for you and I and our wonderful American mindset. You see, at one time you were slaves of sin, but something happened. You and I If we believe in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation, we follow him. You've been set free. Free. But here's where it should just ride against your American sensibilities. You've been set free to another master. How does that feel? Did I really... Get set free. I want to be my own master. But Paul says, no. If you've been set free, you are now slaves of God. That is a singular change that happened. We could not purchase our freedom. Our debt, your debt, My debt was far too great. That's what Paul is saying Christ did on the cross. Peter agrees with him. 1 Peter chapter 1, he writes, Knowing you were ransomed, again, ransomed, redeemed, paid for, from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, Not with perishable things like silver or gold. Stuff goes away. But with the precious blood of Christ, like the lamb, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. That was the price. That is what you and I have been redeemed by. Now again, I, told you, I asked you to put something in your pocket and, and uh, how that is better. I referenced how a slave could be redeemed, right? But not all slaves wanted to, right? Either a slave would die as a slave or they could be set free. And that's all we talked about. But there actually is another biblical option. And it's the one which Paul wants us now to understand is us. This is who we are. This caveat, this exception in Deuteronomy, in Exodus, that is written is for you and for me to better understand what it means to be a slave of God. Not a slave of sin. A slave of God. And it's this. Freedom. In Deuteronomy 15 it says this. But 
If your servant says to you, I do not want to leave you because he loves you and your family and is well off with you, then take an owl and push it through his earlobe into a door and he will become your servant for life. Do the same for your female servants. Exodus chapter 21 says it this way. But if a slave plainly says, let me say that if a slave plainly says, did you plainly say something that changed the trajectory of your life? I love my master, my wife, and my children. I will not go free. Then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door of the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an owl, and he shall be his slave forever. What? But he's going to die. Maybe there was a greater purpose to why God inspired Moses to put this down here. Because you go, oh, well, look at the Hebrew. Maybe it's not what it means. No, forever means ongoing, eternal, and it's not specifically referencing. Well, in this context, it is the slave-master relationship, but even more so, our relationship toward God. Because we have a master. We are slaves to God. You have a new kind of master. Your old master, who you served, was pernicious. Slow, but effective. Subtle. And his poison to you and in your life is exceptionally powerful. You see, the result is death and separation And he wants to conquer. And he leads his servants shamelessly toward destruction. But being slaves of God, you reap a different harvest. One with a kind Lord or master. One that's effective to bring you to what the master wants for you, eternal life. And to give you, to lead you, specifically lead you to your greatest desire. This isn't the first time that you will see, like it says in verse 22, that God leads those who are his. If we hearken back to back in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, when it talks about how we came to have a new master. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? Again, God's kindness, your master's kindness. Do you show contempt for his kindness and forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? We all know the old adage, you can lead a horse to water, but can't make him drink. 
God, God's leading functions a bit differently between these two texts. Okay? In Romans 2 and in Romans 6, they both, these prepositions, right, are, are aspects of leading. But in Romans 2, the leading is intended to be understood as directional. He's, he's moving you toward something, toward what is best for you, toward what you need, toward what he wants for you, towards what he wants you to have. And the way in which to get it is repentance. In Romans 6, preposition is to and toward as well. But he helped us to see God is leading us toward a specific result. And that result, depending on if you have your NIV or ESV or NASB, it's either going to say holiness or sanctification. Which ultimately the result of that is eternal life. Is God taking away your choice by leading you to repentance, sanctification, and eventually eternally life? Is he? Has he taken away from you something that is yours to have? Or do we have an incorrect mindset because we're fouled? I believe if we are to think rightly, as we see in Scripture, we already made a choice. We already had a master. We've already been in that master's or have been in that master's household from birth. And the choice, we had none. I know me, what I was driven by, what I wanted, what was appealing, what I put my efforts toward. And you do too. Bound by the choices of my past, enslaved as they carried me on, God comes along and he actually gives me a choice. He doesn't take a choice away. He said, hey, you're enslaved. I can redeem you. And you can say, no, I love my master. I love what I get to reap. I love what I get to engage my heart, my mind, and my body in as a slave to sin. I like my master. Or because he's kind, compassionate, abounding in love, slow to anger. He comes. And he may come again and say, I can redeem you. Jesus says, I am your nearest relative. 
put that in your pocket. And we'll come back to that one too. <laughs> All right. I can redeem you. Come to a new master. If we become slaves of God, slaves of righteousness, we should remember that it is a good and kind master who is in fact doing exactly what he said he would do in our lives. If we look ahead to Romans, in the book of Romans, a couple chapters to a text that we all reference or many of us reference because it is powerful. It affects the way we think, even what we hope. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The divine care of God in our lives affects all humanity. All human affairs, all universal outcomes, everything, every event, every decision, every act, all time over all space. He is working all toward his purpose. Now, depending on who your master is, that could be for your good or for your demise. Now, sometimes that seems clear. What I need to do is clear. Clear to you, clear to me, clear to us. Like a decision I need to make. Right? There's a clear direction or circumstances that make clear what I need to do, and it is very direct. This is what's happening. This is what I need to do. I'll get there. It's very direct or symmetrical. Makes sense. But what about when it doesn't? Right? Maybe I'm just speaking from my own experience here and you have none of this. Right? But other times, it seems we wonder, what do I do? All the circumstances that he says he's working together for good, he says he leads. I need some clarity on this one, Lord. And we sit and we wonder how it is that we're supposed to, this is supposed to work for my good in him. What can the purpose in this be with all that is good going on? All right, you can skip ahead to the next slide. Because there's so many circumstances and events, parts and pieces that affect that decision. Right? Just what I'm going through. Not to mention... The past influences, my experiences, what I remember, where I've been, affect what I should do. Right. Then there's those life circumstances, someone else's actions, which need to affect what happens. Not to mention, 
On top of all that, there's global and regional local events, nature itself, and a log that falls on the road. They all play a factor, right? In this decision that should be really clear that I need to make. Not to mention the unseen spiritual world and our enemy and what he likes to do in and around to us. But what our Lord also intervenes in. And we know what he's like. And if he chooses at some point to allow me to understand how all this is supposed to come together, it blows my mind. And I get to see little pieces of it. And I'm sure you, like me, have been in awe of how he's worked all these things together for good. But what about when he doesn't? Or is that just my immediate perspective? Is that me being caught back in a previous decision or previous moment? And because it isn't always direct or symmetrical. In fact, it's asymmetrical. And I got a long journey and there's lots of circumstances that are going to lead to something that will have a cause. Not right now where I want my answer. But five years from now. Can I trust my master? Verse 23 takes us to one of the most well-known passages in Scripture. Though slaves did not require payment, service for sin or to sin had only one outcome, death. That is payment. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In Christ Jesus, our master. In contrast to the gracious gift of God, who as a master graciously gives and leads his servants to eternal life, we need to ask, what do we want? If you have not accepted Christ as your, as your Savior, this, this is what you need. This is the master. This is the hope that you've so desired and sought after in those dark times, in those quiet times when you were alone, when no one else knew the thoughts in your mind but him. It will cost you. But what you gain far exceeds any cost at the moment. Or you can continue on in the same trajectory you have with the same master you've known with a result and a master's intentions that are absolutely clear.
So what do you want to do? Men and women of God, if you follow Jesus, pursue your master in every decision. Take the time to give your master the right, give you the right perspective from him. Because you know what his heart is like, what his purposes are, and he will work them together. So ask him to lead your strongest desire to be your strongest desire. You know what's extraordinary? Sometimes we feel like a kite. Blown around by the circumstances and the situations of life around us. All right. Life's stripes, banners, they're, they're colorful. In fact, we could change them into a piece of cloth. Tie a light rope or string to it and send it up in the sky and be taken up to beautiful heights. The problem is the wind can pull and give direction to and that kite goes all over the place. But you take that same material and fashion it into a different shape. Attach the same string to it. And instead of letting the same wind and gust and gales carry it along, you affix that string or that rope to a pole and send it high up in the sky. And that same gust and wind and gale can flap that cloth in the sky. But it is held fixed, secure to the one who gives it foundation and purpose and surety. And we call it a flag instead. You know what's extraordinary. Christ has made you more than a slave. Ephesians chapter 1 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Do not stop with the thought that you will be eternally a slave. Because that is not the exclusive or only way that Scripture wants us to understand who we are. Positionally, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, the Lord wants us to understand who we are are we've been bought with a price and adopted that is another extraordinary dynamic of slavery in hebrew culture a slave 
could actually be adopted into the master's house. A slave could actually gain the master's inheritance. Romans 8, again, further on says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs or co-heirs with Christ. That is who you are if you've accepted Christ as your Savior. Not a slave to sin any longer. Don't give back in to your master, right? Scott gave an analogy last week, wonderful analogy. Don't go back to work for your old boss. Sure, he'll take you back. He'll let you work for free. And he doesn't mind you working for him. But your new master... He's getting ripped off and he does not want you working in his enemy's field. If you have not accepted Christ as your savior, it is the only way to have a new master. It is the only way to have everlasting life. It just requires repentance and belief in who Jesus is. If you came with someone here today, I would encourage you to talk with them about what that means. If you're here by yourself or you need someone to talk to, I'll be more than happy to. Scott's up here. Sandy in the back, she'll be outside. There's a number of great godly folks you can come and speak with. If you are a follower of Jesus, pursue your master's desire for you. Make him your greatest desire. Not the accumulation of things along the way. How does everything fall in line with his purpose for you, for us? With that, I want to remind you that that was Jesus' clear message. And he takes time relationally for us. He took time for his disciples. On the night he knew he was going to be betrayed, the same night he knew it was coming, he'd been speaking for months, and specifically the last few days, that the time was at hand where he was going to die, suffer, but rise three days later. Even though he knew it was coming, that very night, betrayal, he took time and had a meal with his disciples. He slowed everything down. He celebrated with them because he wanted them to understand the full measure of his purpose for being crushed, pierced, bruised for us. And then he actually cares deeply. So he said, I want you to do something with each other endlessly, ongoing, until he comes back. He broke bread and he passed it around to his disciples and said, this is my body. It is broken for you. And they took and they ate. Then, when the meal was done, he took the cup and he passed it around and he said, this is a new covenant, new, in my blood. 
forgiveness of sins. And I'm not going to take care, take it myself until I do with you when we're home. Something to look forward to. So when we do this together, I want to encourage you to remember all that your master has done, all that your adopted brother, Christ, has done for you, for me. Don't rush. The worship team is going to play at least three songs, right? It's going to be a while. Take time to think and recognize what it is your Savior has done for you. If you haven't believed in Jesus for your salvation, do not feel obligated like you need to get up and follow everyone else at some point and take the bread and, and the juice. It's, it's sacred. Don't, don't enter into it. Wait until you agree with what it means and what Jesus said. The worship team will play some music so you have time. When they do, and you're ready to stand up and take the bread and the juice, I encourage you to do it worshipfully. Do it maybe with a friend or with your family. You don't have to stay here in your seats. You can go out in the halls or right outside because it's wonderful liquid sunshine. We're in Oregon, right? And worship the Lord for what he's done. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you're faithful, that you're good, that you are exactly who you said you are and that you set us free. Lord, as we take these bodies, our hearts, our minds, and we submit them to you, empower us by your spirit because you know we get tired. You know we get confused at times. You know there's uncertainty because we don't know always the right path to take, but we know that you are faithful, that you lead, and that in time, you will make your way abundantly clear. So I ask for your saints who are here that they will be able to live worshipfully, they will be able to praise you right now, and they'll be able to praise you next week because that same truth reigns true. Thank you for being a good master, a good father. Find worship from us in this time as we continue to praise you for who you are in Jesus' name.